Pastor Cindy. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We began last week with a jump ahead in, in Timothy. In to chapter 3 where we talked about the Word of God being inspired by God and profitable. And today I want to talk about godly heritage. I don't always preach a Mother's Day message, but today's going to come close. So I want you to think for a minute, who's impacted your life, especially in a spiritual sense? If you can look back on a godly heritage, and if it was a mom, then praise God for that. Praise God that your mom was that person, or perhaps your grandmother, like Timothy, or it may have been a other your father or a sibling, or it may have been somebody in your church. I thought about my own heritage this week, and um, I grew up in Macon, Georgia. I have a, two parents, obviously. They've both gone to be with the Lord, but I had a brother. And so my first name, Robert, was given to me by my brother, his best friend down the street. My brother prayed for years for a little brother. And uh, when, when I was born, they let my older brother name me. And so his best friend down the street was named Robert, so that's my name. I tell you, my brother prayed for years that he'd have a little brother. I think after I was born, he prayed for years God would take me back. My middle name came from the doctor that delivered me. And so my father, I think he knew the doctor, but he decided to name me after the doctor that delivered me, so I'm glad it wasn't Gladys or something like that. So that's where my physical kind of heritage comes from. But spiritually, I thought about that too this week. Uh, when I was about 12 years old, I, I was raised in the church. I was there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and most Wednesday nights growing up. But when I was about 12 years old, I came to realize I needed a Savior, and I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Not because 12 is a magical age, but that's just the age for me. But I really didn't grow a lot until we got a youth minister. His name was Hank. Hank moved to town as the first full-time youth minister that we had had at our little church in Macon, Georgia. And, um, and I just fell in love with Hank and his wife, Susie, and he's the guy that really started discipling me. And, um, and was at our church for five or six years until really I got to college. So really my whole high school, junior high years growing up, Hank was our youth pastor. I also grew up with my wife. My wife, when by the time she was five years old, had moved to Macon. And so we went to the same church, grew up in the same youth group. A few years ago, Hank was in our home uh, visiting. And I said, Hank, you know, we just celebrated our 38th anniversary a couple of weeks ago. But when he was in our home, it was a little less than that. And I said, I said, would you have put us together when we were growing up? Did you think there's any way we'd have been married all these years? And he said, Robert, I wouldn't have put you with anybody. So that's part of my godly heritage, too, is that there were people that had patience with me. And uh, probably the three of the worst kids in the youth group are all preachers now, including myself. We scared uh, our teachers to death. We went on mission trips. And uh, the, the lady that was in charge of all the mission trips would always separate the three of us. And we normally had to stay in an adult room. Uh, because they're afraid we would tear something up at the hotel and, you know, uh, ruin the whole trip for everybody. So Matt was one of them. Uh, excuse me, Hank was one of them. Another one was Matt. Well, after I got a little older, the guy that kind of became my discipleship leader was a guy named Matt. And I just remember, you know, I don't remember a whole lot of what he taught, but I remember he took me everywhere. I remember going on camping trips. I remember he started giving me responsibility to help with some of the younger students in our church. And so I remember Matt. I remember going on a camping trip where our brakes ran, failed us on the way back, and we coasted into a uh, service station in, in Forsyth, Georgia, and had to sit there for three or four hours while they replaced our brakes. I mean, it's amazing what some of that comes back to your mind. But how about you? What, what are your godly heritage? Who has impacted your life? That's what Paul addresses with Timothy this morning. Timothy apparently had, had God, a godly grandmother 
and a godly mother. His father apparently was not a believer. He was a Greek, and there's reasons we know that. But Timothy was reminded by Paul of his godly heritage. In fact, four times in this passage, really in about three verses, he uses the word remember, recall, mindful, or remind. So Paul is simply setting up 2 Timothy for what he's wanting to write to Timothy as a way of reminder. Isn't it great when somebody says, remember this? It's worse when the way you're doing it is so wrong, they say, forget everything you've ever been taught. <laughs> if, you ever been, if you ever go have golf lessons and the, the instructor sees your swing and says, okay, wherever you learned that, you need to forget every bit of it. Let's start over. That's not what Paul's doing with Timothy. Paul is reminding Timothy of his godly heritage. So let me read verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So first is this greeting that Paul gives to Timothy. Now this is the second letter that Paul's written to Timothy. That's why it's called 2 Timothy. And just for context, he wrote 1 Timothy probably more of a house arrest situation in Rome, but he had been released between 1st and 2nd Timothy and wrote Titus and Philemon. But 2nd Timothy is the last letter that Paul's going to write. Paul's not under house arrest anymore. He's not in a prison where he can have visitors the way he did uh, initially when he wrote 1st Timothy. He's now in a dungeon prison in Rome under the worst conditions he's ever going to be under and not long before being put to death. So Paul knows his time is running out. Paul knows how much he dearly loves Timothy. And so he writes this letter of encouragement to Timothy back in Ephesus, a place where Paul had started the church at Ephesus, had impacted, I'm sure, Lois and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother, but also had led Timothy to the Lord because he considers him his brother. Now, when I read this, and, and you may be thinking, okay, Paul's writing an intimate, personal letter to Timothy. Why does he have to remind Timothy who he is? Why does he give an apostle? What does an apostle mean? The, the, the 12 disciples were called apostles. It was somebody who had seen Jesus face to face, and Paul certainly fit that criteria on the road to Damascus. He had a face to face encounter with the risen Savior, bright light, put him on the ground. And so Paul is using that authority as a delegate, a messenger, an ambassador of God, in the same way one of our ambassadors to a foreign country carries the authority of the president and the country that they represent. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Paul's saying, Timothy, I, I really got about 25 things in the book of 2 Timothy, 25 imperative commands that I'm about to give you, but I'm basing it on the fact that I'm Paul, an apostle. I'm Paul, a delegate of Jesus Christ. That's whose authority I come to you with. And he said it's according to the promise. First of all, it's by the will of God. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, listen, this wasn't my idea. I didn't call myself into ministry. I'm not doing this because this just seemed like a great career option. 
Paul had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, salvation experience, but then God calls him into ministry. And so regardless of what ministry you're involved in, whether you're a paid full-time staff member or you're a church member, you have another job, we're all in the ministry, right? So I want to encourage you today. Paul said, this calling of God is by God's will and not mine. And that helps a lot when you face opposition. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever faced people in the church that are mean? Have you ever faced complaining? <laughs> I served a church right outside of Dallas, Texas, in, in a town called Highland Village, Texas. Anybody know where that is? There's no reason for you to know, but it's north of Dallas near Denton, Texas. And we had a few people, some of them were deacons in the church, that were just kind of, they were playing the role of the Holy Spirit at times. I remember sitting about where Ricky is with a cup of water because I had a bad cough and we had a business meeting. We were without a pastor, and so not having a pastor there, we decided to have business meetings pretty much every Sunday night. That was a joy. And I couldn't quit coughing, and I had to be, I was kind of the staff member that had to come up and close things out after they were done, so I'm coughing. I get up and start walking out the back door, and this lady approaches me with a cup of water, styrofoam cup of water, and I, I said, thank you so much. So I came back in and just kind of kept my throat lubricated so I wouldn't cough. Everything ends, we get done, and one of the deacons approached me and said, Robert, we have a gentleman's agreement that we don't bring food or beverage into the auditorium, into the sanctuary. Man, I was ready to quit the ministry. I was depressed. I thought, oh, this is, man, this is the worst thing. I've probably lost my salvation over this. <laughs> They're going to rescind my seminary diploma because I carried a styrofoam cup into the auditorium. I got in the car and even knew that I was down. We, we had a 45-minute drive from Highland Village back to Fort Worth, Texas, where I was in seminary. And she knew something was up. She said, what's wrong? I said, oh, David called me. on. I, I, was, I made a mistake tonight. I carried a styrofoam cup. He reminded me that we don't bring food or beverage into the sanctuary. She started laughing. I thought, what are you laughing about? She said, who does he have this gentleman's agreement with? Have you ever been to choir practice? And I started thinking, you know, choir practice, they are up there with like Dorito bags and sandwiches and coolers. Because we didn't have a choir room. They had to rehearse in the sanctuary. And it's about halfway back to Fort Worth, I started thinking of all the things I wished I'd said to David, that God protected me from saying to David. But I tell you that to say this. There's moments like that in ministry that you come back and look yourself in the mirror and say, God, am I doing what you call me to do? When you face opposition, you've got to know it's not, you're not in ministry because of your will. You're in the ministry because God's called you. And I'm talking about every person in this room. What you're doing for the glory of Christ, you will face opposition. Somebody said, if you're not hitting Satan head on occasionally, it's because you're both traveling in the same direction. You will face opposition living for Christ. And you have to come back and say, God, did I just get corrected by a brother or sister in Christ, or did I just got climbed by a Pharisee? And there's a big difference. And you can walk away from that mirror knowing that God, it's by your will I'm doing this, not my own then keep on doing what God's called you to do. Or it may be that God said, you know, really and truly, it'd be a good idea not to drink out of styrofoam cup tonight. I'm just kidding. But that's what you do. Paul said, by the will of God, Timothy, he's building a case for what he's about to say to Timothy. Timothy, this isn't by my will, this is by the will of God, and according to the promises of life. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ has promised life to those who believe on him and believe in him. He's gone to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. So Paul says, Timothy, I'm an apostle, not by my will, but by the will of God. And it's according to the promise, the gospel message. He's offered life in Christ. 
And then he says who's addressed the, the letter to. He said, Timothy, which the word Timothy really means dear to God. That's the literal meaning of the word Timothy. And Paul calls him his beloved son. Not because he was his biological son, but he was his spiritual son. Paul had led Timothy to Christ and has now installed him as a leader in the church at Ephesus. And so Paul, even from a dungeon in Rome, writes a letter to Timothy and says, You are my beloved son. Very intimate and personal. And in three words, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is God's unearned favor. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. Let me explain the difference between grace and mercy. If you get arrested, and let me think of something that couldn't possibly happen. Let's say that you bribe a college with like $500,000. And you've convinced them that your daughter is a great rower, even though she doesn't even know what that means. And you get caught. And you get taken up before the court. You don't go before the court and say, I demand justice. <laughs> what do you ask for? Mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me what I don't deserve. And so that's what Paul's reminding Timothy. Timothy, we've been called, and Paul includes himself in this, we've been called into salvation by a loving Father who sent his Son because of Jesus. We don't receive what we deserve. We receive mercy. So, folks, if you're here today and you're a child of God, you have received God's mercy. You're not being treated the way you deserve. But better than that, more than that, included in that, you've also received His grace, which is something you don't deserve. If you ever go through life and just think, Robert, if you knew my background, you'd know I don't deserve grace. Hello? I don't deserve it either. If grace was something we deserved, we could brag about it. That's why Paul in Ephesians says grace is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. So mercy and grace, and it's because of God's mercy, it's because of God's grace that we can have peace. Peace means to be set at one again. Peace means you were at war, and something's happened between the two warring factions, and you're now at peace. You're set at one again. What happened? We didn't do anything to reach God. God, in his grace and mercy, reached us through Jesus Christ. God, a God who hates sin, who won't tolerate, he doesn't wink at sin. He had to deal with sin, so how does he deal with it? He deals with it by paying the price through the, the life of his son. And so Paul says to Timothy, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father, and I love the way he says this, and Jesus, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, something that Paul, a common denominator between Paul and Timothy is that, Timothy, what I'm writing you about, and I've got 25 things to say to you that's going to correct your behavior, but it's from our Lord, Timothy. I'm including you in that. We're in the ministry together. We have the same Jesus that's our Lord. So my question for you is this. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Have you experienced the grace of God, the mercy of God, and are you today living in the peace of God? If you're a child of God, you can have peace. Without God, you have no peace. So Timothy, Paul writes this great greeting to Timothy. Then he talks about how thankful he is. And I just want to give you perspective on this. Paul is in a dungeon. Paul has been beaten. Paul has been, I mean, he's, he's literally probably days or weeks away from death. He's in a dungeon imprisonment in Rome. And he tells Timothy what he's thankful for. Do you struggle being thankful? <laughs> I struggle being thankful at times. If I'm in a prison, it's going to be real hard for me to be thankful about anything. 
Oh, God, thanks for the rodents that just ran across my path. Thank you for the beating up. That you, that's not what Paul's Timothy Paul's thankful for. And if you ever get a letter from me and I'm in prison, the letter's probably going to have something to do with come get me out of prison. Paul never mentions that. Paul says I'm thankful. He's thankful for his remembering Timothy as he is anguishing in a prison not long from death. Paul remembers Timothy. And Paul says, when I think about you, Timothy, I'm thankful. And there's a parenthetical interlude in there. Paul says, I thank God, and then he says, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, and I constantly remember you. Paul says, Timothy, when I think about you, I'm so thankful to God that I serve him. And I served him with a clear conscience. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Had Paul always served God? He thought he did. When Paul went by the, the name Saul, he was a persecutor of Christians, even was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. So Paul could look back on a life where he had disobeyed God and was against God. In fact, that's really what, what Jesus says to, Tim, to Paul on the road to Damascus. Why are you persecuting me? And I'm sure... At that point, Saul thought, I'm not persecuting you. I'm doing the will of God. And he finally realized, no, I've been beating, imprisoning, and in agreement with putting somebody to death who's trying to follow God. And yet I can serve God with a clear conscience. How in the world is that the case? Was Paul a sinner? Yes. Was Paul guiltless? The same way the day I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But before God now, there's no guilt. Why? I can serve with a clear conscience, not because I had a perfect background, not even because I'm still perfect today, because I'm not. Still mess up. Still think the wrong, wrong thing, say the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing at times. But I can serve with a clear conscience. Why? Because I've been forgiven. I've received God's mercy, His grace, and His peace. So Paul says, Timothy, even from a dungeon in Rome, I think about you. In fact, I constantly remember you. You're never far from my mind without ceasing, without interruption. In fact, day and night, I'm praying for you. In fact, I long to see you, Timothy. If you're praying for somebody that, with the fervency that Paul's praying for Timothy, you're going to want to see them. You're going to want to be reunited with them. And Paul probably knew that it's very unlikely I'll ever see Timothy again. But he's my beloved son. I'm concerned for his life. I'm concerned for his ministry. And so I'm going to encourage him. And in fact, he said, I long to see you, even though I recall the tears you had the last time I was there. And we're not given why did, why did Timothy cry. Was it because he knew he was about to be separated from Paul or he knew about the imprisonment? We're, we're not sure. But the last time Paul was around Timothy, there were tears involved. But Paul said, it will bring joy to me to see you. I want to be filled with joy. And then the meat of the passage, the reminder, Paul says in verse 5, I am mindful of your sincere faith. Sincere means without hypocrisy. It means not faking. So when Paul thought about Timothy, even though apparently Timothy had some weaknesses, Timothy had some fear he's going to deal with in a minute, and Timothy was young, probably both in the faith, but also young chronologically, Paul says, every time I think about you, Timothy, the first thing that comes to mind is your faith is real. You're not faking it. It's not hypocritical. You have a sincere faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. They have impacted you for the cause of Christ. 
And so because of their faith, it's been passed down to you. Now, keep in mind, it had become Paul's faith, excuse me, Timothy's faith. Some people's testimony is, well, obviously I'm a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home. Well, I was raised in a brick home. <laughs> and, yeah, my parents were godly parents. They made sure I was at church every Sunday. I thought about that this week. My mom, as I got a little older, never went to Sunday school. And I asked her one time, I said, Mom, why does Daddy take me and my brother Lee to Sunday school? She said, I'm staying here to fix lunch. And it's true. We'd have a dozen people or more at our house every Sunday afternoon after church, whether they went to church with us or just relatives at a different church. And so... She stayed home and cooked, met us at church, but my parents were in church on Sunday morning, especially on Sunday night. My dad ushered at the same door for ever since I can remember. So Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, your faith is real. It started because of your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, but I believe it's real in you as well. It's genuine. It's not fake. In fact, he says, I'm sure, I'm convinced by first-hand observation, it's not enough that you have godly parents. Faith has to be personal. Have you personally trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? And then Paul says, for this reason. Okay, so we're getting to the point here. For this reason. Timothy, he's told Timothy who he is. I'm Paul the Apostle based on this. Timothy, I'm thankful for this. I think about you all the time. But then he says, for this reason, I remind you. So Timothy already knew this. Paul's not coming up with something brand new. He's saying, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God that's in you. Kindle it afresh. I want you to hear this. Timothy was not asked to start the fire. Timothy didn't start the fire. But Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you fan that flame. You fan it and so that it shines bright. And I think it's because right now Timothy's flame was about to go out. Timothy's flame was pretty small. And Paul says, God hadn't given us the spirit of timidity, literally fear. I think Paul's dealing with a Timothy who word is getting back to Paul that Timothy is, is afraid. And I don't know if it's afraid that Paul's about to die. It's afraid of the persecution that's coming against the church. It's afraid of the heretics that have kind of infiltrated the church at Ephesus. But Paul says, Timothy, remember this. Recall to mind the gift of God that's in you and fan it into flame. When you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're given a, at least one spiritual gift, maybe more than one. And it's for a purpose. But you've got to kindle it. You've got to use it. You've got to exercise it. And so Paul is reminding Timothy of that and saying, Timothy, listen, this gift of God which is in you. And I think he's talking about Timothy's ordination service where Paul had been one of the elders that had laid hands on Timothy and set him apart for ministry. And that doesn't apply to everybody in this room. It, it's applied to ministers who had hands laid and churches said we recognize gifts in you and because of those gifts we are setting you apart to minister but folks we're all called to minister and as a child of God we're all given spiritual gifts and so Paul is saying to Timothy Timothy kindle that gift and God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity or fear cowardice this kind of fear doesn't come from God now the, the kind of fear that comes from God is the kind of fear that really means reverence we're to, we're to have a reverence and respect for God. The kind of fear that makes you want to run from God or run from godly things is the kind of fear he's talking about here. And he said, you don't have that spirit. In fact, Paul writes this in Romans 8, 15. He says, God has not given us a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but he's given us a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Let that rest on you just a minute. 
Don't know what's going on in your life. But if at times there's things in your life that are making you afraid, come back to that verse and realize that's not the spirit of God in me. God hasn't given me a spirit of cowardice or timidity or, in this case, slavery leading to fear again. But he's given us a spirit of adoption. We're children of God. That's what Paul's reminding Timothy. And I even thought, you know, has Paul ever struggled with fear? Well, Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. Paul, Paul is reminded by God. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul in the, in the night by a vision, Paul is, hears from the Lord, he says, Do not be afraid any longer. What does that mean? That means Paul had been struggling with fear. So God says to him, Don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. So that's the kind of spirit that Paul's writing to Timothy about. Don't be afraid. Don't cower. Don't be timid. Because you've received a spirit of power. The Greek word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that. And I wonder sometimes how many Christians are living with dynamite power through their life. That's what God intended. That is the normal Christian life. I think sometimes we make superheroes out of the ones we see. Man, that's just powerful. We all have that power and should be exercising that power. Because Paul says, don't be afraid, but instead be on fire, Timothy. Because God's given you a spirit of power. Don't raise your hand, but have there ever been times in your life that you just knew there was a power at work in or around you that you knew was not you? You, you just knew, even in the moment, boy, that's God. But that didn't come from me. That ought to be happening. So he's given us a spirit, not of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power. He's also given us a spirit of love that enables us to love others the way Christ loves them. I've said this before, but there's some people hard to love. You ever been around people like that? Don't point at anybody in the room, but have you ever been around people? Some people are just hard to love. I was a youth pastor in North Carolina. I had a kid in my youth group named Dana who I liked a lot. Dana was just obnoxious. And it finally dawned on me, the reason he's so obnoxious is because he gets no attention at home. It was normal for Dana to come home, find a $20 bill in the microwave, order Domino's, Mom and I will be home later. So I just got to where I'd take Dana everywhere I went. If I'm going to see somebody in the hospital in Charlotte, I'd say, Dana, you want to ride? Yeah. I'm like, Dana, we're going to the hospital. Yeah, that's right. I want to go. I'm like, okay. So one time I'm riding down the road with Dana, and he got a new Atlanta Brave hat. He was so proud of his hat, but he was just being obnoxious. He was hitting me while I'm driving. And I finally told him, I said, if you hit me one more time, I'm taking your hat and I'm throwing it out the window. Guess what Dana did? He hit me one more time. Guess what I did? I threw his hat out the window. <laughs> and Dana, his eyes got about this big around. He thought, he couldn't believe I did that. Now, I did finally turn around and go get his hat. But here's what I told him. I said, Dana, let me tell you something. You don't have to be obnoxious to get my attention. I like you. I, I like hanging out with you. I like you going places with me. We take other people with us. I said, so you don't have to be obnoxious. To get my attention, you already got it. It changed his life. He got to where he wasn't so obnoxious. Now, he was still obnoxious around other people, but at least around me, I got rid of the obnoxiousness. Another kid that God taught me a lesson, I was speaking at a camp in West Virginia. I believe this guy's name was Mark. Mark was just one of those kids who was just always in your face and wouldn't leave me alone, wouldn't give me a second breath. I finally talked to one of his leaders, and they said, Mark has a brain injury. He was in an accident. He got hit by a car while he was riding his bicycle. And he was one of the most loving people you'd ever meet, but he would just eventually get on your nerves. 
And so I left that camp, and I was asked to speak in Louisa, Kentucky. Well, it turns out that's where Mark lives. And so I walk into the church, and I see Mark, and my first human response was, i got to get away from here. And here's what I sense God saying. Robert, this weekend while you're here, I want you to treat him the way you'd want to be treated if you were me. And I said, all right. So the rest of that weekend, I sought him out. At church on Sunday morning, they had two services. I was preaching in both of them. Saw him come in for the early service. I said, Mark, i got a seat for you. He sat beside me. He stayed for the second service. I don't know where he was supposed to be the second service, but he stayed to hear me preach the second time. He's walking out the door. I'm shaking hands at the back door. Mark hands me $5. And I said, Mark, you want me to put this in the offering plate? He said, no, that's for you. And I saved that $5. I framed that $5. Not sure where it is right now because I've moved so many times, but somewhere in a box in my attic is a framed $5 bill. Why did I do that? Because it reminded me that that's the kind of love we're supposed to have for other people. Treat them the way God would treat them. Treat them the way you'd want to be treated. And that's the spirit that God has given us, a spirit of power, a spirit of love. Now, let me tell you where it goes wrong. You ever met people, and some of them are preachers, that all they got is the power without the love? They become arrogant and obnoxious themselves. So be very careful that you don't only operate in power without the adjoining love attached to it. Because when you have the power and the love, you're actually able to do ministry. In fact, that's where the last word, and I'm done, comes from. He's given us a spirit of power, of love, and of discipline, or of sound mind, able to make sound judgments. It's a sense of soberness that brings the flesh under control for the purpose of ministry. That's the word for you this morning. I want to close with two questions. We've heard Paul's encouragement to Timothy. So my question for you in response to this message is this. Who's impacted your life? It may be a youth pastor. It may be a pastor. It may have just been a best friend. It may be a college roommate. It may have been a mom or dad, a grandparent. Who's impacted you? And have you ever thanked them? If it's not too late, if they're still living, I want this week for you to contact them by text, Facebook message, whatever. Call them, write them a letter. And just say, you know what? I was thinking about my heritage, and you're a part of my heritage. I just want to thank you for being faithful to the Lord. Then my second question is this. Who are you leaving a legacy for? Whose life are you impacting so that one day they would look back and say, that man or that woman impacted me positively positively for the cause of Christ? Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for a reminder from Paul to Timothy that Lord applies to all of us. That if we're children of God, it's because somebody touched our lives. God, thank you for godly mothers and grandmothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and college roommates and friends in the youth ministry or co-workers. Somebody that loved us enough to tell us about Jesus. God, put people in our life that we can pay it forward to. Put people in our life that we can leave a legacy that impacts the next generation. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Stand as we sing a closing chorus.